Lord, thank you so much that you have allowed us to be at camp meeting, that you have blessed us with the means to be here, that our leaders, despite financial pressures and concerns, have allowed us to have a camp meeting, that our camp meeting is um, as long as it is so that we can study and pray and work on things here. We thank you for the people here that are congregating, that are going to be leaving this place with um, the Holy Spirit in their hearts and a renewal and a change. And I pray, Lord, that you will also do that here in this class, that the people who are wanting a change in their hearts and wanting you to come in will be praying for that during our session so that their minds will be changed. Help us, dear Father, as we read Scripture today, that we will be impressed. I know that you work through Scripture and that you open our hearts. And I just pray, Lord, that you will anoint my lips so that I can be a vessel for you in your holy name. Amen. Your brain. Your brain. Did you know that your body sends out, and I thought this was wrong. I thought somebody misquoted it. I'd look it up. 11, how many? 11 what? Million bits of sensory information per what? To your brain. What if you had to sit there and organize it all? You'd go crazy, wouldn't you? And that's according to the Britannica. Brains, by the way, um, don't just come together. You know, they say that, you know, some people think that the world came together by two balls just smashing into each other. That's like putting the parts of a watch in an envelope and shaking it up and thinking 2,000 years later it's all going to come together. Isn't it an amazing thought? And it's ludicrous, but the brain is so amazing, and it's such an amazing tool. And God has given it to us, and we can do a lot with our minds if they're dedicated to him. How can you not be impressed with God? 11, did we say 11 million? 11 million pieces of sensory information. Wow, every second. So how much is that in a day? I don't want to ask. Okay. <laughs> You ever heard that song, The Wonder of It All? The Wonder of It All. Yes, it is a wonder, isn't it? That we have these minds in our mind in our heads. So back to emotional intelligence. How many of you had heard the term emotional intelligence before yesterday? Okay? Not how many of you, when you read all those verses in the Bible, recognized that emotional intelligence was being spoken about in the Bible. We were talking about emotional intelligence yesterday, and I gave you all those scriptures. And so do you recognize that even though you didn't know that term, that the Bible's been talking about it for years? Okay. And today we're going to talk about self-regulation, controlling the self. And that is the meat of my presentation. There are important pieces every day, but to me, this is the one that I just love because it's, not, it's so amazing that the Bible's been talking about this for all the time that you've been reading it, but you haven't been catching it. And now there is actually scientific proof to back up what the Bible's been trying to tell us. So it's very exciting. All right, so up there, you see a picture of the brain, and what do you see in that area of the brain? Memory 
and emotion. How many of you have a memory? How many of you recognize that sometimes it's not always working as well as you wish? How many of you recognize you're an emotional person? So see the amygdala? The amygdala is in front of your ear, and it's on both sides. So I'd like you to point to your temple in front of your ear, and I want you to say the word amygdala. amygdala. I have an amygdala. It's right here. So when I talk to you in this lecture and I do this, you're going to say what? Uh, she's got the amygdala being pointed to. All right. This is in your limbic system. The amygdala houses our emotions and our memories. When someone says something that's a little bit off, have you ever had that happen? Oh, you must be living. Okay. Somebody says something, maybe with a little edge or with a little disappointment, or with a little bit too much emotion, like, you know, you should have, have you ever heard that? Shoulda, coulda, woulda, okay. When that happens, you have a reaction in your amygdala, and that is that blood and oxygen carry that thought to your amygdala. All right, are you with me, all, everybody? Yeah. Blood and oxygen carry that thought, and it goes right to your amygdala and when someone says something that's where it is now pay attention because this is really important that is called the amygdala hijack this action is when your thoughts go into your amygdala and when you have them in your amygdala I hear my mic going on and off is that okay got it okay when you have something go into your amygdala if you react at that point, you will probably do that before you think rationally. That means that when you react fast, in a hurry, you are going to say something that you wish you hadn't said, or you're going to say it in a way that packaged it in a poor way, and so that you will offend somebody or hurt somebody. Something I'm really good at. Wow. And I think that as you get a little older, your amygdala is like firing a little faster. Um, so at the, re at the bottom of the slide, I'd like you to read that with us, me, okay? The more our emotions go up, the less logic we use. So when you are in your amygdala, is this the best time for you to handle a problem? No. Absolutely not. Do you think that the devil can use us when we're in our amygdala? Does the devil choose to hurt relationships? Can we, do we all connect with certain people every day, several people in our family or in our workplace or in our community? Yes. And if your amygdala is active and you are working from your amygdala, you are a servant of the devil because that's where things get really stirred up. So, by the way, when people are working in their amygdala, they could even murder somebody at that point. Have you ever heard about, well, he killed in a fit of passion? Yes. Was it premeditated? No, he did, you know, he saw his wife with another man, and that's when he shot him, and so it was a fit of passion. They want to know, did they premeditate? Because even, even the, the judge and jury, you know, they almost feel sorry for when people are in that point, and that's when they do their behaviors. It is in haste, 
it is not a healthy place, and I'm going to tell you that there's more to this. With every emotion, the amygdala haphazardly pairs what's going on with some memory you have from the past. Now, there's a lot of people that put a lot of interest in what their brain is telling them. And let me tell you, your brain isn't as smart as you think it is. Right or wrong, silly or smart, wise or foolish, it gives you a memory and it pairs you up with something and it could be helpful and it could be unhelpful. Your brain is a gauge, not a control center. It's up to you to choose whether you're going to be controlled by your emotions or if you're going to choose to control them. So, let's go on. Let's say that I'm walking around and I see somebody in the back walking towards me and they're holding a baseball and a bat. Now, how many of you think that's alarming? Could be. Could be that they're just holding it after a game and they came, they came to our seminar, right? But let's just say that in my amygdala, that my amygdala pairs that memory. I mean, remember, it's going to bring up a memory. Let's say that my amygdala says, the last time you saw a bat and a ball was when you were eight years old and you were at a little league and some kid hit the ball very hard and he threw the bat and it came whizzing past your head, and you recognize that you almost got hit with that bat as it whizzed by, and you wondered about all the damage it could have done to your mind if, or your brain if it had hit you. And then when I see a bat and a ball, and it pairs me up with that memory, I start to get panic attacks, maybe, or fear. Or I'm like, maybe I want to grab a bat, or maybe I want to run away. And sometimes we don't even know why we're having that experience. It's because we may not be aware of that memory, but the brain is aware of that memory, and it's bringing this back, and you get all those same emotions. Have you ever said, boy, I feel like I've been here, or I did this before? And I'm like, that's because that memory is going on in your brain. So... Um, it would be good for me to be able to say to myself, calm down, it's just a bat and a ball, don't know that they want you, right? I need to have that. But I'm not there yet, I'm in my amygdala. Got it? All right. When I was little, my mom was getting Sabbath dinner ready. And she, you know, I was hungry and we had company and she told me, now, if you go near the table, don't touch anything, don't eat anything. So I just was looking and looking, and oh, I saw some olives. They were really little, and I thought, you know, I could just have one of those olives, and it wouldn't even look like they were missing. And then I just thought, well, I'll smell the olives, right? So I want to tell you this. I have no idea, but all these years of my adulthood, when I see an olive, I get this retching feeling in my stomach. I don't know why I get that retching feeling in my stomach. It's just been this, like, this disgusting feeling. And when I eat an olive, it's not distasteful. It's not upsetting. It's not like I can't stand the taste of it, but it just gives me this sickly feeling. So I had to really think about where that came from. 
Why do I have that? Because my amygdala, when I see an olive, is putting some kind of memory in there. So here, back to this Sabbath dinner. So I was seven or eight, and I picked up one of those olives, and you know, those olives have little holes in them. Have you ever noticed that? And with my little fingers, I saw a little hole, and I thought, I could put my finger in that hole. And do you know what? It fit. It was really cool. I had a black finger. Yeah, that was really cool. I mean, like, my mom didn't even let me wear any nail polish, and I had a black fingernail. I thought that was cool. And then I thought, you know, if that one fit, I wonder if any more of those fit. So I started putting them all on my fingers. And you know what? I, by the, I had 10 fingers and 10 olives when I was done. And my, I was like enjoying them. And I went in and said to my mother, look at my fingers. And she said, I thought I told you not to eat anything. I said, well, I hadn't eaten anything. I was just trying them on. And she said, your fingers are dirty. I'm like, no, they're not. I hadn't been playing outside. And she said, don't put them back in the bowl. And then she said, well, since you made them dirty and you used them, you need to eat all of those olives. Well, I just couldn't wait because I was hungry. And so I was just really thrilled about that. So I started eating them one by one. You know what? The first three were really good. The fourth one was sick, and my mom kept saying, keep eating them because they're all yours. So I kept eating them. You know, by the 10th one, I was so sick, I never wanted to see an olive again. I'd forgotten that. And so when I see an olive, what was my amygdala bringing up? That memory. So do you understand that when something happens to you and you have a very serious emotional reaction, your amygdala has brought up some memory that you may not even remember. And so um, you have to recognize that it's not usually a pure thing what's going on. So anyway. So... I'm going to tell you about another one. I've told this story before, and people, they probably don't think it's true, but I'm afraid to tell you it is true. So my husband and I, we had just been married. Would you open that, Anna? We had just been married for a short time. Oh, I see this Kleenex right here. Um, we had just been married for a short time, and we just come back from our Hawaiian honeymoon, and you know... It's so sweet when you just come back. You've been saying honey and sweetie and trying out all those nice words like dear and everything. And it was my husband's first Sabbath, and we were going to be at Waterford Church. That was where he was assistant pastoring. And I, um, I was getting my casserole dish done. Now, honestly, I hadn't had much cooking experience. I hadn't had much cleaning experience either. And I was really kind of stressing about my dish because, you know, pastor's wives, they, they have to have a potluck dish every Sabbath, right? And I, I didn't want everybody to think I was a bad cook, so I was, like, trying to decorate it and everything. And my husband said, we've got to go. We need to be on time. And he left, and he went downstairs to get in the car. And I was just putting some flowers, I hope they were edible, I don't remember, on the, on the casserole dish, probably had to be baked too. So anyways, when I heard this, bonk, 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 he was honking the horn at me, his lovely wife. I couldn't believe it. 
Like, what was in here? I, I just couldn't believe it. And it made me so mad. He didn't know that I could ever get mad. <laughs> I was mad, and, the, and we were on the third floor of an apartment building, and every step made me madder that I had to go down there when I was not getting my potluck dish. And so I went to him in the parking lot, and um, he, he, I remember that the windows, we, we still had one of those old cars, and he had to roll down the window. So he was really close to me, and I said to him, if you ever honk the horn again at me, you are going to pay for it. I'd like to see you go to your new church today without your brand new wife, and let's just see how your career goes when you have no bride. <laughs> I still have that frozen picture in my mind of him. He went... <laughs> And his face was red, and he was like in shock. And then I turned around, and I ran back up, and I redecorated my dish. And I think I probably took a little longer than usual. <laughs> and I tried to figure out through the years, why was I so angry? Well, guess what? My amygdala brought something up that I wasn't even remembering for right at that moment. Remember, I told you that you don't always know what's going on. When I was young, my dad would get into the car, and my brother and I would be sitting in the back seat, and my dad loved to agitate my mother. Beep, beep, beep. My mother would come out, and she'd open that screen door. Do we have old screen door? And she'd say, Henry? You're honking the horn. Did you get the Bible in the quarterly? Well, no, surely I must have forgotten. Well, that's why I'm still here. And did you help with the breakfast dishes? Oh, I must have forgotten. Well, that's what I'm doing, and that's why I'm still here. So don't you honk that horn. Okay. And she'd walk, run back in, and he'd look at me in the rearview mirror and go, she sure is mad. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. <laughs> Henry, did you turn out the lights? Did you close and lock all the doors? No, surely I forgot to do that. And that's why I'm still in here trying to get things ready. And you are just sitting out here doing nothing. And so then she goes back in. And he looks at me and he goes, did you see how red she got? <laughs> She's really mad. Yeah. And then he, one more time she'd come out and she'd say, Henry, did you wash your glasses? He'd say, no, they look really bad. You need to clean those glasses for me. And she'd go, and it'll take me another five minutes to do something that you could have had done already. And I probably said to myself, when I grow up, my husband will never honk the horn at me and disrespect me like that, correct? And so my husband had no clue what I was thinking when he did that. And when I brought it up to him, in the last few years, he said, well, you recognize that I never honked ever again at you. I learned my lesson. <laughs> when you are in your amygdala, you are doing jot behaviors. Jot behaviors. J stands for what? Jump, Jump to conclusions. O is for what? Overreact. Overreact. And T is for take it personally. Is that true? Yes. If you're going to have a problem, oh, I know when I get couples in for marriage counseling, 
that when they are reacting off their amygdala, it doesn't matter how smart they are, how talented they are, that they came from good families, if they can't get this area down, they're going to have problems. You've heard about the book Love and Respect, many of you. Like, this is all about those areas. You've heard about people who have communication problems. This is the area, the amygdala. When it's firing, this is not a good thing. Let's read at the bottom again. Our feelings are to be gauges, not guides. Let's read that again. Our feelings are to be gauges, not guides. Would that be true? All right, let's go to this verse. I know that every time that you read a verse, you know, when you're in a Bible study and somebody doesn't get something and you have them read the verse, the Lord talks to their heart. And so that's when I want to make sure that you're going to be reading Bible verses in here because I know the Lord is going to talk to your heart and he's going to change your mind and your life because of some of the things he wants to share with you today. So let's read this all together. A chorus of us all reading together is very important and very powerful, okay? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Does it say, don't be angry? Does it say, stop being angry? It says what? Be angry. Do you mean that God would allow us to have our emotions? Emotions we cannot stop. When somebody says, no, you don't feel that way. Oh, doesn't that irritate you? Of course I feel that way. Feelings are feelings. Then it says, do not let the sun go down in your anger. It means don't let it fester. Don't let it stay around. Get things solved, because if you don't get them solved, that means that they're going to have problems, bigger problems, faster problems. I mean, like, it just goes on forever. And holding grievances and having a problem, that's not okay. And it says, don't give any opportunity to the devil. So when we are angry and we react in an angry way, that's the sin. It's not being angry. It's what we do with it. It's how we see it. Let's go to this again. This is where we get our impulses as well. Remember we talked about impulses yesterday. Let's say we're at the state fair and we smell caramel corn and we go, oh, I have to have that caramel corn, right? And if you feed it, you want to have it again, right? Or um, I, I noticed that a few years ago, Doug Batchelor was talking about his ice cream addiction. He said that he just loved ice cream and he talked about ice cream and seeing it melting on the sidewalk and how he just couldn't wait to have it, and he just knew it was a big issue for him. And do you know that night they sold more ice cream in Cedar Lake and Edmore than any other night of the year? Because once you have it in your mind, you see it, and you think about it, and you want to act on it, right? Not saying whether it was good or bad. I'm just saying that that's exactly what happens. So make sure that you don't always give in to your impulses. Let's read this. For God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Sometimes we think that power is to have power over other people. And sometimes the love is, is love for ourselves, and so we want everybody to do things the way we want them to do it. And self-control is like, um, well, I want to have control other, over other people. So, yeah, we need to make sure that we don't always cater to what we, need, we think we want to do. Because... The Bible also says, are you ready? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So that means don't just give in to impulses. That helps us to, um, you know, 
we may think that it's just a little impulse here and there, just to go on the internet and talk to somebody or whatever. Those are impulses that are a daily battle, and we're going to have them because the devil knows exactly what tempts you. And we are told that it's not just a person's personality that irritates us, or it's not just you know, what they said, because behind it is powers and what? Powers and principalities. And remember that it's very important that we not give in to them. Does anybody remember the little song that we used to sing in Sabbath school? Some of you are not very old, like me, but it was called Yield Not to Temptation. Do you remember that? Could we sing it just for a minute? I thought it was so good about impulses. So let's do that. Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you, some others to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions pursue. Look ever to Jesus, he'll carry you through. Just ask the Savior to help you, comfort, he is willing to break you. He will carry you through. And I wanted you to sing that because I think some of those old lines, those are really important to us. We need to sing things like that when we're tempted. Let me tell you about some children. There was a marshmallow experiment. Many of you probably heard about it. It's very popular. And it was at Stanford University. They told children, here is a marshmallow. Here's 20 minutes, and you'll be in this room by yourself. And if you don't eat this marshmallow, and in, in 20 minutes, we'll give you a second marshmallow. How many of you think that the kids were able to withstand that? About 70% could not, and about 30% did. They found out as they watched them on those little cameras that they were licking their little... Sounds like an olive, doesn't it? They were licking it and smelling it, and then sometimes it would get soggy, and so they would just eat it. Or they would, you know, put it in their mouth immediately or whatever. Um, there was also a classroom where they did this, and a little girl told all the kids, she was the little leader, and she said, just gather around me, and she said, um, put your marshmallow behind you, and I'll tell you stories, and then in 20 minutes, we'll look at our marshmallow, and we'll get another one, and that worked. Isn't that cute? There was a child that went over and slept by the wall, and he put his marshmallow in his pocket. And then 20 minutes later, they, they went and woke him up, and, and he said, oh, can I have my second marshmallow? I'm like, that's pretty good, isn't it? Some kids tried not to look at it, but they couldn't help it. They just kept looking at it. It was so cute. I, I saw some of the videos on it. Some of them, when they ate their marshmallow, they wanted a second marshmallow, and they didn't think it was fair, and the rules were stupid, and they wanted their second marshmallow. Some kids tried to bully other kids in the classroom. They wanted their marshmallow after they ate theirs. Two-thirds did not get a marshmallow. Of 653 four-year-olds, only 33% got a second marshmallow. Fourteen years later, they did another study of these children that had been in the marshmallow study, and they found out that a significant difference was between those who tolerated and and pushed away from that marshmallow versus the ones who could not wait for the marshmallow. 
Those who waited had more social competence, were more assertive, were able to make decisions, and they felt more resilient. They had less problems with substance abuse and other temptations. But the ones who, oh, and they also scored better on their SAT tests because they were almost college age there. Um, but those who could not delay had poor scores, had more problems with substance abuse. They said they were more stubborn and they were not as successful as the other children in their later life. So really what they found out is it's really not about smarts. Haven't you heard parents all saying, yes, they're so smart and they can say all their words. And it's like, we need to recognize that our education, you know, people are like, I want them to have, you know, only a certain education. They have to be in these experiences. I'm going to put them in public school. Remember, it's their souls that are so important. It's their it's their tolerance, it's their not wanting to be gratified, it's about wanting to serve others. That's what we teach them in our schools, and it's so much more a predictor of their success in their life than their IQ. With God's help, we can tolerate our temptations. Do you agree? Without giving in to them or feeling sorry for ourselves. So, have you ever been cut off? How many of you have been cut off? Okay, we've all had that experience. So let's pretend that somebody cuts you off the road, because you can all relate to that, right? And you have an emotional reaction. What, what sends your emotional reaction? Your blood and your oxygen send it to where? And annoyingly, your amygdala pairs that with some other experience. I don't know, maybe it says, you know, you were treated disrespectfully by your teacher when you were 12 or whatever. Or, you know, you have a spouse that, you know, didn't take you into consideration and this one didn't either. So whatever, it gets in your amygdala and it infuriates you. And we're going to say that that gives you even a bigger reaction. And if you react to the man who cut you off when you're in your... You're going to do what? Can you give me some ideas? You're going to yell. You're going to what? Scream. Give them, a, give them a gesture. Chase them. Honk the horn. Some, there's people who get shot, yes. I heard about somebody who told me from his own mouth what happened to him. He decided to chase the person for three miles. And he found him at a, at a traffic light. So he was really excited, and he drove right up next to him, and he was going to tell him off. And the person behind him, when he stopped, hit him, and then it pushed him into the person in front of him. And then when the light changed, the guy left. And he was the one who had the problem in the end. Probably not a good thing, right? All right. Well, even nice ladies can have problems. Did you know that? The truth is that we can be really foolish. And the Bible has told us that when we're in our... That we can be fools. Let's read this, okay? Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Did you get that? Let's go to the next one. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. What did you notice about those verses? First of all, they, we're called fools when we act that way. But what about 
quietly. Do you hear the words like quietly and overlook? The Bible's been telling us to calm down for a long time, hasn't it? So here's the second part that you need to know. I'm like, here's the next part. We all have a frontal lobe. Isn't that good news? Good news. This is critically important information. And in our frontal lobe, would you read with me what you have? You have your reasoning, your problem solving, your conscience, your impulse control, and your social behavior. If you bring a thought from your amygdala to your frontal lobe, reasoning is like, I'm thinking it through. Problem solving is like, is this the best way to handle it? Conscience is, what would God want me to do? Maybe it's time to pray. Impulse control is like, I may feel like doing something, but this would not be a healthy thing, right? And social behavior is, I need to be more concerned about people than myself. And if God gives them mercy, then I need to give them mercy. Wouldn't that be appropriate? Would it be, by the way, when your thought is in your amygdala, within a few nanoseconds, it comes to your frontal lobe. So all it takes is a delay of time before you think about that. Now somebody called me and said, you know, I want you to know that I know that my thought was in my amygdala, but when it goes to my frontal lobe, I'm still mad and I still want to do what my amygdala told me. And I said, that's called sin. Because the truth is that God is reasoning with us and trying to help us, and we may not be listening to him, right? Because have you ever, had, have you ever been mad at somebody and they go, I'm sorry, and then you go, because I still want to yell. Yeah. Our amygdala is still, but it's very important for us to recognize that God wants us to create peace in people's lives. So very important not to say anything, especially when you're not in your frontal lobe, you need to delay it. Have you heard somebody say, it might be good for you to wait 10 seconds before you say something? They probably didn't have bad advice, right? Our frontal lobe is going to house all of these things in it, and it's important for us. And so it's important to delay. So what can you say, what can you say to people when they want an answer right away and you are feeling emotionally upset. By the way, people are not going to react well when they're emotionally upset. If you're having a, a fight with somebody when you're in your amygdala, you are more chances that you're going to defend yourself, more chances that you're going to stonewall where you're going to shut down. Maybe you're going to blame or maybe you're going to be contentious and go, you know, well, you'll be sarcastic. You know, that's just how you are, and that's what I expect. And you act just like your mother, and you act just like your father, and you act like, you know, that relative that went to jail or whatever. <laughs> we really need to be very careful, and we need to not be working off to our amygdala. And people go, but I can't do it. And what did we say yesterday? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God knows exactly how our mind works because he created it. And we need to give it back to him if we don't have it dedicated. We need to give it to him. Another thing is that when you're thinking about smashing somebody's car because they hit your car in the parking lot or chasing after them, 
Remember this, Matthew 5, 22. I'd like you to all read this with me, okay? Anyone who hates his own brother is subject to judgment. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of hell. Do you notice how important it is to God that we treat people with kindness and respect and love? If we were doing what we needed to do, would our relationships be way better? Would we get as far? Would we see people that demean and hurt? Would we see people who are so damaged? We would be able to see a lot better, healthier relationships. All right, so back to our illustration. We had this guy who was really angry at us, but now we've had it in our frontal lobe and we've been reasoning with him. We've been postponing our reaction so that we're not overly upset. We're waiting till we calm down before we solve something. And so we might say to him, well, we might say to ourselves, you know, he's just a child of God. He's made a mistake. Or we might say, you know, I've cut people off by accident, and other people have given me grace. Or I choose not to be offended. Remember, we talked about how the world is so offended. I choose not to be offended. Or once you realize that you reacted a certain way, because you have more self-understanding, because God's giving it to you, you might decide that you're going to react a different way each time that you have something that upsets you. And that's what we want to do. So let's see what the Bible is telling us about this emotional intelligence, about our amygdala and our frontal lobe. Are you ready? You're going to read it with me? My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Was the Bible trying to tell you this a long time ago? Were you really listening? It's like a new word, isn't it? And I just want to tell you that the Lord wants the best for your life. He wants your relationships to be wonderful. He wants you to do as healthy as you can. Not everybody else is healthy, but you can be healthy. And you can make a big difference. Very important. Maybe you need to say, I need to pray about that, or I'll come back to you about something. Just give me some time to think it through. Here's another one, another emotionally intelligent verse. You ready? A gentle answer turns away wrath. What is wrath? But a harsh word stirs up anger. You ever heard that? You ever seen that? Why do we do that? Did we think that it was going to be different every time that we did that? Yeah. Very important. Here's another one. Almost instead of doing this, we need to set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That's Psalm 141.3. There are so many. I, I want you to know that I pared them down. There's so many verses that talk to emotional intelligence. I just chose a few of them. And I don't know that I chose the most important. I just chose several of them. Proverbs 15.18. Are you ready with me? A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger calms a dispute. Don't you want to be a peacemaker? Hasn't God called us all be peacemakers? Let's read Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirs up dissension, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Now, it's written in male language, and so this is for females, too. Here's more. Proverbs 12, 18. Let's go. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
Yes, we are to bring healing to relationships. We're called to do that. And then Proverbs 26, 21, a quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers light charcoal or fire lights wood. Did you realize that they were all in the Bible trying to help us with our relationships? We need to claim these. When I was growing up, my father loved to agitate. That's what we'd say. He loved to agitate. You already heard about my father, right? Who did he like to agitate? My mother. He'd like to agitate us kids, too. He'd go into our rooms, and he'd switch our lights on, and then he'd go, I'm going to have to take money off your lines because you also had the lights on. And we're like, we didn't have the lights on. Yes, you did. You had the lights on. And then he'd have this little grin. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then he kept that going with my daughter. My daughter was a fiery little blue-eyed redhead. And he'd say, are you eating post raisin band? And she'd say, no, I'm eating Kellogg's. And he goes, well, that's because post is better. You can have the Kellogg's. Then I want the post. And then he'd go, no, that's my post. Just didn't matter. She was uh, one of those who was really slow. She could spend three hours eating breakfast. And we called her, we thought she was pokey, but no, I'm a social worker and we don't label children that way. So we referred to her as pookie because she wouldn't know what that meant. So my dad thought that was so funny that he'd say, are you my pookie ookie? And she'd say, I'm not your pookie ookie. And he'd say, I didn't say that. I said, are you my pookie cookie hookie lookie? And she'd say, I'm not your pookie hookie lookie bookie. He said, I didn't say that. I said, are you my sookie dookie mookie hookie? And she'd get so mad. Her little face would turn red. He just loved to agitate. And here's it. We should have been reading this verse to him in the Bible. Proverbs 23. Avoiding a fight brings honor to a man, but every foolish person is quick to argue. So if you have a child that's an agitator and they love to argue, don't encourage them and go, you're going to be a lawyer someday, I can tell. You say, I wonder why it's so important for you to always have a different opinion. I remember when my husband and I were dating, and I, he would tell me, you know, he talks really dogmatic, you know, and I'd say, I don't know. Like, and he, one time he looked at me in the car and he said, do you disagree with me, or are you just arguing with me? And I'm like, I think I was just arguing with him. And then I recognized that I probably was doing the same things that my dad did, right? It doesn't go far from the tree, right? Yeah. Okay, so here's another thing, Proverbs 25, 28. Let's read it. A person without self-control is like what? with broken down walls. Now this is to give you hope. This was a man called Moses. Moses, in the beginning of his life, was acting on his amygdala. Do you remember? What did he do? He did three things. One thing was he broke the commandments. Next thing was he killed a man. Third time, he smote a rock twice when God told him to do it once. But as he matured, he dealt with bullies, and he dealt with people that seemed to be so irritating and so annoying, and he pleaded for their lives. Do you remember that? He loved them. Isn't that encouraging? That, that when we get closer to God, we can change. God loves us, and he wants us to be less reactive and more emotionally stable. How many of you can relate to Peter? What did Peter do in his early life? He, he, he cut somebody's ear off. 
He denied the Lord how many times? Not one, not two, but three times. He put his foot in his mouth. Do you remember him jumping out of the boat? Jumped on the, out of the boat on the water, just ready to go, and then he started to drown, remember? And yet, what happened when he got closer to God? He wrote some amazing things in the Bible for us, and he became a wonderful person that saved a lot of people. And we already mentioned that there was um, Paul and Silas that were singing praises in the dungeon. And then let's just talk about Jesus. Jesus was bullied. He was crucified. They always tried to catch him, saying things, doing things. They followed him around. He didn't always have enough food. He didn't always have a place to rest. People cursed at him, yelled at him, jumped to conclusions about him. Um, they, they tormented him. They crucified him. And then he's on the cross. And what does he say? Father, what? For they know not what they do. And it says that Jesus was able to go through the experience of the cross because he kept his, his eyes on the glory of heaven, which means, folks, this is a very short time on this earth. We have the glory of heaven ahead. We can suffer some things for him, can we not? Isaiah 40, 31. When we, um, when we run on emotions, we really get tired, and we need to stop it. And when we are exhausted, we need to remember this. Let's read this. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Isn't that wonderful? So let's read this from five testimonies for the church, 314. Christ brings the emotions under the control of reasons. By the way, who, who does that? Oh, so it's not you? So you don't count to five or you just hold your breath until you can... Okay, remember, we need power from above. Christ brings the emotions under the control of reason and disciplines the thoughts. Do you need your, your thoughts disciplined? And then the tongue will not be left to dishonor God by expressions of sinful repining. So what came first? God was working with our reason and our thoughts, and when he does that, then it impacts what we say. Have you noticed that? That's the right order of doing things. We need God to clear up our brains in the way that we're thinking. Let's read this one. Watch well your words, for they have a powerful influence for good or for ill. Allow no sharpness to come into your voices. Bring into your united life the fragrance of Christ-likeness. I saw a research study about children who have problems with juvenile delinquency. If they have one parent that they connect with well they usually don't have as many problems. But if they have a, a relationship that's really poor with their parents, they have more of a problem of rebelling. And when we yell at our children or demean our children or disrespect our children, we are ruining our relationship with our children. We want to reflect Christ in our lives. There's also another study that shows that when they sat strangers in a building, that um, they didn't even know each other, they would ask how they were feeling before they came, and so they could be happy, sad, or whatever. But whoever had more emotion, you know, when they would stare at them, they had to stare at each other. Whoever had more emotion, if somebody was happy or sad, the other person would take that emotion on, and when they would ask them after they got out of the room how they were feeling, they would have the same emotion. They were both sad, or they were both happy, or whatever. Which reminds us that what we do and how we act, we have a lot of influence 
on how people feel. So if you're critical, if you're a critical parent, your children will be critical. If you're an agitating parent, then you probably your kids will agitate. If you're a loud parent, usually your kids will be louder, right? And it would be very important for us to keep our eyes on God and not mimic those around us, but to think about how God wants us to act and to move forward in that area. We need to share positive emotions with others and be encouraging, compliment them, tell them how we want to see them in the kingdom. I think about my experience as a child in the Detroit Metropolitan Church as I was growing up. I had many people that would say, you know, one day, Lord, the Lord is going to use you, Lori. Or, you know, your, your mouth really runs a lot during the Sabbath school, but I know you can use it for good someday. <laughs> and you've heard birds of a feather flock together. We need to be careful about, are we working with people who are having lots of issues? Are we, really, are we sitting there with them and spending all of our time and endlessly? Or are we working with them, but we need to surround ourselves with Christians we need to be intentional to be around people who are encouraging and who are also on the journey with us and who want to go to heaven so that we can influence people around us. Dr. Neil Nedley says that people who come to his 10-day stops depression programs usually test out very poorly in emotional intelligence. But within 10 days of his program, when he retests them, their emotional intelligence is higher than the national average of people. And he says that they do this because of their prayer, their learning, practicing skills, their diet, and their exercise. We have all of that available, don't we? And we can change how we act just by the way we think. Now, I want to make sure that you're getting these ideas. So I'm going to give you a situation. I'd like to ask you how somebody would act if they're in their... If they're in their... Okay. Someone at work steals your ideas and they get credit for it. So if you're in your... How are you going to act? Angry, irritated, get back at them, revenge. But if you're waiting till it goes to your frontal lobe and you're waiting to think about social, conscience, etc., what might you do? Oh, we're really good at telling what the worst thing is, but what about the best? Going to talk to them, respect them, pray for them, sit down and talk to them, that would be a good idea, right? Um, try to make them a friend. Okay, here's another one. Someone borrows something from you that's important, They've had it for several months, and you really need it back. You're in your amygdala. How do you react? Irritated, angry, say something. You know, you should have given that back to me a long time ago. I don't know. I'm going to have to take you to court. I don't know. Whatever you can say. Okay, so now it's in your... And what are you going to do? You take the emotion out of your voice. You sit with them, and you have a one-on-one, -on -one, Matthew 18, right? You talk to them about what's going on and what's happening and how can you get this addressed. Isn't that important? And if you can't get it addressed and they aren't responding, what are you supposed to do? Take a second person, right? All right, good, important. Okay, you spoke too fast with your... And the Lord is impressing you that you need to say something to a person, 
um, that you offended, but you're in your amygdala. What about you justify it? You say they had it coming to them. You know, I didn't say anything that was wrong because that was, I was speaking the truth, but I said it non-kindness, right? But now it goes to your frontal lobe, and what do you do? You apologize, you go to them, you try to make it better, you, you say you're sorry. You might even say, I'll try not to do that again. That would be really nice. Maybe give them a hug. I don't know, just very important. How many of you do these things? How many of you do these things, right? You talk from your amygdala? I did it just this week a couple of times. I'm like, really? Are you all way beyond me? I, I hope you are. But I'm just like, every day, don't we? We have to die to self because we are tempted and, you know, there's always a temptation. Will you take it? Will you move with it? How about this one? You hear your spouse tell their mother that they're looking forward to her visiting you for a month and they've never talked to you about it. Let's just talk about your frontal lobe. What would you say or do? I don't know. I love, I love you my need, mother-in-law. You need to talk to somebody, don't you? And have a discussion, right? All right. How about the people are in the cabin next door at Sabbath and you want to take a little Sabbath rest and they're playing rock music? Oh, did you hear your amygdala? Whoa! Did you hear that? The roar through the crowd? Don't you notice that we're ready to do something wrong? Ah, how dare they do that? But what does our amygdala tell us? I mean, I'm sorry, what does our frontal lobe tell us? Knock on their door, kindly, talk to them, try to encourage them, right? Very important. All right, let's read this. Galatians 5.1 If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Is there truth? Proverbs 15.23 And word, a word spoken in due season, how good it is. There is a time to talk and a time not to talk. Isn't that what we're told? Is the time to tell somebody how you feel about them in front of other people? No. Is it time to take someone to task when there's other people that might offend, you know, be offended? Yeah, you just we need to be careful about what we need to do. Well, you know, I told you I have my own struggles, right? So I was um, talking to someone, and when I turned towards them, I found out that they were looking at their cell phone. What, experience, what emotions do you have when you're talking to someone and you recognize that they're not paying attention? What, if you're in your amygdala? Irritation, disrespect, anger, whatever. And I experienced all of those. I was really irritated. So that was how it was that day when my husband Royce was looking at his cell phone and I was talking to him about something we were going to do. And the first thing I admit was my anger. So I started thinking about some options. I could say to my husband, excuse me, can't you see I'm trying to talk to you? Why is it you're always on that, that phone all the time? You know, and you're always ignoring me, and I don't like being treated this way. I hate it when you treat me that way. And I could have rolled my eyes and walked off. Pretty easy to do, right? Okay. Option two. I could have been passive-aggressive and let out a big breath. <sighs> right? 
I used to tease my daughter that I didn't know if she had pupils on her eyes because she was always rolling. Oh, yes. I could have said to myself, that is how it is with him all the time. My, you know, my life, you know, that's just not fair. And it's evident he's not interested in me as much as he is in the phone or his work or whatever. And then if he noticed, I could have gone, it's nothing, really. Everything's okay. It's fine, right? Yep. Oh, I'm not mad. Nope. I'm not mad. No, I'm not mad, I told you. Yeah. I can, I can show you pretty good. But I decided to delay my response and think it through on my frontal lobe, mostly because I was working on this seminar. <laughs> and I didn't want to report how bad I had been during it. So I was just about to tell my husband how hurt I was about him watching his phone rather than talking to me when my husband said and interrupted, I saw this video today and I thought Lori would really enjoy this. There's this black and white cat and I know how she loves black and white cats and she's got to see this cute video of this one. So I just found it for you. Why don't you come over here and I'll show it to you. He wasn't thinking about himself, he was thinking about me. I had jumped, if I had jumped the gun, that was a moment that would have been not special, right? And I would have been in trouble. By the way, um, we just celebrated our 42nd anniversary up here. Yeah. And I just think about how the Bible has been saying this to us, right? Let's read this. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And that's really the issue, is that when we work with people, we need to recognize that they are forgiven just like us. We are not any better than them. So I'm going to ask you, what can you use in your life because of this presentation today and yesterday? Is there anything in your life that you go, yes, this makes sense to me? This is something I could use in my life, and this could improve my relationships. Anybody? Can you say what it is? Keep your mouth shut. However, it's not about not solving something. It's about keeping it shut at the right time, right? Okay. Anybody else? Go ahead. Uh, response when teaching. When teaching and not responding to what they're giving back to me. Okay. So instead of just reacting to what kids are doing in the classroom, slowing yourself down so that you say the right thing and, and are appropriate. Okay, go ahead back there. Be patient, okay? Waiting upon the Lord, you made a new meaning to Isaiah 40, 31. So delaying is waiting for the Lord to inspire you about what you're going to say rather than being fast. I have to repeat for this, okay? Not stirring the pot more. Not stirring the pot more. Boy, I wish I could talk to my father. He's not here anymore. Okay, anything else? Okay, go ahead, Vera. So make a choice. Make a choice not to overreact. That's about, so what she said is to make a choice. This is the whole thing. Make a choice with your brain and what God has wanted to tell you, the skills that he's given you. He's given you the power of self-control in your body, and he's given it to you. You're just not using those skills, and we need to use that. Make a choice, delay, so that we are not destroying relationships. All right. And I just want to tell you again that God is available 24-7 to help you. He gives us tr um, power to overcome spewing our raw emotions, 
and making our lives unstable. And he wants so much for us that we can attain if we would just ask him to control our lives. So why don't we stand and we'll have prayer. And tomorrow, by the way, we're going to be working on motivation, another part of emotional intelligence. Have you seen lots of intelligent people that just didn't get where they needed to do and they, they stopped something or they quit? And so we need to talk about that. So let's pray. Dear Father, I, I just pray that you'll be with us and you'll continue to expose those flaws in our lives that we need to work on. And Lord, we want to have a relationship with you and we want to see people the way that you see them. We also want to forgive ourselves for the mistakes we've made, and we pray, Lord, that every day, because of what we're learning through the Bible, through your power, through the spiritual um, exercises that we're learning, that we will make a bigger difference out there, an impact for you, and be the witness that you want as we are examples here on this earth to the people around us. And we thank you, Lord, for each person here and may we go home in heaven and live with you where we don't even have to work, work or, or learn anything new about how to think because we'll have perfect brains. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you've blessed us with in your holy name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org